Time for another great conversation here on PTSM. Let's hear from my pal, Justin Roberts. Ding, ding, ding. You make a living from your voice, so. And you do the same. Anything I can do to help. Yeah, but you're a real voiceover guy. You could do, you could do, uh, you know, those car commercials or you could do, you know. Your voice is cooler than mine. Huh? Your voice is cooler than mine. Come on, you could do those movie trailers, you know, in a world. You know, have you ever tried those? Because I know you do a lot of imitations. Yeah, I, I've done a bunch of different things, but I, I think you have the cooler voice Come on. by no. far. Well, uh, folks, uh, you know, we, we start these podcasts. Uh, you never know how they're going to start. We, we start out <laughs> explaining uh, our different contraptions we have created. Everybody's already tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be They're going to talk about wrestling. Wrestling. Uh, with with Justin Roberts, uh, you know that voice when you hear it. You've uh, you heard it for over a decade. And they're thinking, with wow, the WWE. Justin Roberts. He sounds weird on this. He what happened to his other voice? <laughs> well, we'll we'll get to that. I'm going to have you. You'll you'll do a little bit of the the old stuff for us. Uh, but uh, a, a tremendous career, and and for most of the that time, twelve years with the WWE, you knew him as uh, the premier announcer, ring announcer for. Uh, World Wrestling Entertainment Corporation and all those shows, Raw and the spectacular pay-per-views. So, uh, Justin, and you, you know, most of my guests are from the, uh, as I like to refer to the, the golden era, the, the Titan uh, Sports the, era. Yes, the best era <laughs> of professional wrestling. I'm not going to argue that. In by fact, I'd rather talk about your era than mine. <laughs> yeah. So you, you're an exception. You're an exception. Uh, and, uh, I really, I'm really glad to have you. No, no well, it's, it's great to be here. Okay, so uh, when I, you know, first, uh, I, I can't remember how we first met, um, but uh, I know that you followed the WWE very closely during that period of time, and we're talking the, you know, the '80s and well into the '90s. And I'll tell you, I was just amazed by your the knowledge you had about. Uh, just the stuff that I did, but I know that, uh, you know, since you were a kid growing up in Chicago, that was your passion, right? I mean, you just- that was my life. That's, that's why I knew everything from your era, because that's, that's just what grabbed me as a kid. And that's what I live for. I watch that, you know, every Saturday, Sunday morning, every Monday night and, then you got to the end of Monday night. Oh, now I got to wait till Saturday to see wrestling again. So you'd wait all week and then you get your superstars on Saturday morning. And uh, that's what you look for. That's what I looked forward to. I, I was a nerd who only watched. I mean, I didn't only watch wrestling, but I loved wrestling. And that was uh, like a way of life for me. Just It was my escape from reality. And I used to watch that and just get... Uh, get caught up in the storylines and the characters because that time had phenomenal storylines and phenomenal characters. Yeah, absolutely. Like you and sold me on all of the live events. <laughs> That's what I was. Oh, Chicago, the World Wrestling Federation returns to the Rosemont Horizon on yes. Saturday. Get your tickets today. And I'd run to the Ticketmaster outlet and get my tickets because Sean Mooney told me about this event and it sounded great. You know, uh, though, when you talk about, uh, and, and just listening to you, when you talked about how uh, you would wait for these events to happen, I, I, I think in a lot of ways we miss that. 
Um, because it's now it's just boom, you know, uh, you, it's, it's on your Twitter, it's on your Instagram, it's, it's all over the internet. And back then you had to wait for it, uh, you know, like you said, for these shows. And it was even more than that. They made you wait for it. Even when they gave it to you, they still made you wait. Yeah, for it. Was, right? exactly. You tune into uh, wrestling challenge or, or superstars. And you didn't see. You'd see the Head Shrinkers versus uh, <laughs> Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy. You didn't yes. see them versus the Steiner Brothers. You had to wait for a pay per view to see that. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that's part of what's missing today. You have a lot of people talk about that. Uh, you know, it's 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 a lot more controlled. The product, the 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 uh, individual superstars don't get to really create their characters as much. But I also think what part of it was uh, that we're missing today was that, uh, you know, that that waiting, that uh, apprehension, that you know, oh God, what is going to happen? They've got to let me. They, we, I've got to know. Yeah, and, there's that anticipation when the show ended versus now, and it, you know, you you get to the end of a three-hour show and you go, uh, is it over yet? <laughs> well, no, fifteen minutes over. Okay, three hours and fifteen minutes. Okay, I'm good for tonight. And hey, don't worry, there's wrestling tomorrow, and there's wrestling the next night, and there's a lot of it, so it's a lot different now, which, you know, if if you could keep up, there's a lot of wrestling for you, which, as a kid, that's what I wanted. I, I wanted wrestling every day as a kid, but I didn't get it. Yeah, well, and uh, it was like Christmas when you got to go to something like one of the four pay-per-views, and, and we had a few yeah. in Chicago, I, I remember, back then. Uh, yeah, but- we got uh, SummerSlam 94. Four, we got WrestleMania uh, 13. You're like a WWE savant. You know that? You really <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I cared about. <laughs> we got King of the Ring in Milwaukee. That's where uh, Austin 316 was born. Uh, speaking with uh, JR, and I had a chance to, to uh, have a conversation with him. And I'm always interested uh, when we talk to people who didn't make their careers in the ring. And I always wonder... Uh, Growing up, did they first think that uh, oh I would love I want to be a wrestler, or did they always have this vision as I want to be that announcer who's calling the matches? And Jr. said you know that was what he thought of, about when he was a kid. Did you, he wanted to be what a wrestler? Was it like for you, did you uh, did you want to be a wrestler, or did you want to be one of those people that were calling these matches? I wanted to be a wrestler. Uh, did you? I, yeah, I dreamed about being a wrestler, and then. When I was in high school, and um, I talk about this in my book, like I, I started reaching out. I met um, Elda Montoya, Portuguese man of war, aka Just Incredible, and he had told me about his buddy who um, who trained wrestlers. I'm like, okay, this is my ticket in because he said. made it. So if what were you about a it, buck? Uh, what a buck forty then? Uh, what five five five? <laughs> Man, I I'm gonna last, make it. <laughs> you wouldn't look at me and be like, oh, you look like an athlete. No, <laughs> you'd look at me and be like, sorry, kid, maybe you should think about something else. Um, and I reached out to Tony DeVito, who you might be familiar with. He was one of the enhancement guys when you were there. And um, we would go back and forth. And eventually I realized, OK, you need to train to do this. You need to train to do that. And it just kind of left announcing like oh i could do that anybody could do that i could i could do that voice ladies and gentlemen so that's what made me realize okay i'm i'll go in and just be an announcer and it was my way of getting into wrestling 
it, you need to find your uh, that doorway in, and that was it for me. Yeah, and uh, I knew one I thing that yeah, uh, and folks, many of you have uh, got a chance to read the book. I, I uh, read it a while back when it first came out. Best seat in the house. Uh, authored by Justin Roberts, and he talks about not not only his career in the WWF, but what led him there, and a, and a pretty incredible path. But one thing about you, uh, Justin, and, the, and I think they call it chutzpah, uh, if people know what I'm talking about. It's somebody that just uh, won't quit. And I have to imagine, God, you must have been an incredibly annoying child. <laughs> I was. I, am I, I wrong? Was. Because... Uh, no, not at all. I, I drove my teachers crazy. I drove WWF crazy. Drove poor Howard Finkel crazy when I was when a kid. When did you first start contact? <laughs> uh, I know you said, I, I heard you say something like bugged him or, you know, <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it, but when did you first start uh, I your persistence? It. And not, not to like, not to be a jerk. I mean, I, <laughs> I just thought it was cool that I could call Howard Finkel. Um, How old were you? When you first this was before like Twitter, before you could actually interact with the people you're watching on TV. So it was unheard of that I could just call up the ring announcer from WWF and talk to him and ask him. Questions. I can't even get him on the phone now. <laughs> I've, I've uh, been trying to get him on the podcast. And uh, Howard, if you're listening, <laughs> no, I've been trying to get to you. Uh, but uh, I, I, I know I how. I know why I, he, well, he is. It, <laughs> <laughs> just he's you know you know I know him I know he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna get on there and he's gonna ask me something I don't want to answer <laughs> you know <laughs> and I I, I, I wish him luck with his podcast however I don't think it would be the right choice for me to do it well and he said no I would never put him in a in a bad situation you wouldn't so if you're listening Howard. Please return Sean's call. Yeah, and we are going to get back to Mr. Finkel, but uh, we're not at that point of our discussion. Uh, but getting back to where you you had a vision early on. This uh, people listening out there that uh, you know have whatever your vision in life is, whatever you want. Uh, Justin is is somebody who realized that early on and was not going to take no for an answer. Uh, if anything, a, a, a profile in persistence. When did it start to, uh, I mean, you, at some point you picked up a mic or got in front of a microphone. I don't know if it was at a wedding or what, but when is it the first time when you went, hey, wow, uh, I like this, uh, hearing my voice in this. Uh, it's funny if, uh, if I watch old like family movies, um, seven years old, walking around a family like birthday get together. And I've got, I, I used to have this, it was like a Michael Jackson microphone that uh the way it really worked was you press the button and you tune into a radio frequency on your radio right. and you could Mr. Like microphone hear, or you could hear your voice through this little plastic toys r us toys r us mate rest in peace uh microphone and i would walk around these family parties with a video camera and this microphone that clearly the microphone did not work with the video camera but as a kid, I walked around and like hosted these parties and I was the host and I just, I was always into hosting and entertaining and I like to make people laugh. Um, so I was just always like that. And, um, I used to do this, this thing with my mouth. I, I discovered this in seventh grade where I'd be like, mm -hmm. 
and it's weird. And some people are like, oh, that's cool. And some people are like, so. Um, but that was like a big hit. And there were a lot of friends of mine. Uh, we would have bar mitzvahs which was these gatherings when you're like 13, 12, 13 years old. Um, and it's it's all of us, everybody I went to junior high with. And there would be a microphone and music and it would always, like the crowd would chant for me to to grab the microphone to do bull song, as they used to call it, because I used to do the bull song. Or as if I was with wrestling people, I would do like Tatanka's theme music with that thing with my mouth. Um, but I would always just get up in front of the crowd and and grab the mic and do that and... I liked it, and I did different voices. So um, when a, a local independent show was coming up when I was in high school, I said, hey, it could be a ring announcer. My buddy was going to be the ring announcer on that show, and uh, I was able to announce two matches. And that led to a little bit more and a little bit more. And before you knew it, I was working with a local independent group in Chicago for uh, two years. And then I went out to Tucson for school. And, uh, so when you started, what, you're like 16, you're actually doing yeah. professional gigs. Yeah. 16 is yeah, when I did my first wrestling show. Yeah. I remember like it was yesterday. Um, but I, I still have the video. In, in fact, I, I put clips of that on my Instagram. Uh, I was horrible, but, uh, <laughs> I got to do it. So it was cool. And, and I wasn't good by any means. Um, totally self-taught. Nobody told me, all right, don't do this and do this. And nobody gave me any, directions so i'm i'm basically when when we look back i am there's backyard wrestlers i'm a backyard ring announcer i've taught myself how to ring announce and kind of picked up the psychology throughout the years just watching back stuff that i did but uh, i never had any training so uh i'm a backyard ring announcer try this at home kids yeah and, and so you go out to tucson i i can't remember the reason you ended up at the u of a uh which is my alma mater it's kind of funny that uh we both went to the University of Arizona. Uh, and, but a lot, I know a lot of people from Chicago. A lot of people back east came out here just to get the hell out of the cold. I, I don't yeah. know if that was your driving force. but uh, It was the weather, 100%. It was yeah. between ASU and U of A. And U of A just felt more like a college town. Like yeah. everything focused on the university. Whereas ASU, you're in a major city. And there happens to be a university there. Yeah. But somehow you were in this, if people know the proximity of Tucson. We're not the biggest city in the world. And wasn't then either, but you were able to, uh, you know, turn it into, uh, you know, the, doing all these gigs all over the United States. Uh, I imagine that was the same thing that you you just refused to uh, take no for an answer and got in contact with people. I used every and, little thing I did to, yeah. to to kind of build it up. You know, I started yeah. with those shows in Chicago, which led me to getting to do some work in wrestling in Arizona, which right. led me to reaching out to the Tough Man contest from FX and saying, hey. I do wrestling ring announcing. Why can't I do that in Tough Man and use yeah. that to get to Tough Man? And well, but like major major venues, major venues like Bullhead City, and uh, <laughs> you can imagine you could name a few other small towns that uh, probably didn't have the biggest crowds that showed up for these things. But you were learning along the way, right? right? Absolutely, I was learning the gig, the business, and at the same time, I was starting to work with a lot of guys who had been to the dance. You know, there were a lot of George the Animal Steals and King Kong Bundys and Bushwhackers and Sensational Sherry, um, Sergeant Slaughter. A lot of guys that I worked with on these shows and would pick their brains and, of course, make all of them crazy. So uh, so a lot of these guys were working independent shows at that yeah. point in time? Yeah. 
Wow. So, yeah, and uh, and they we're talking late nineties. We're talking like maybe ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand right. at this point. Wow. Well, and then uh, in the me, but uh, all along the way, you 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 still keep bugging the crap out of Howard and anybody else will pick up the phone. In yeah, I left Howard alone. I think once I went out to college, and it's, in our okay. final conversation, Justin, uh, I have a feeling our cross will our paths will cross again in the future. <laughs> and <laughs> wow, he's a psychic. We, uh, we got to my uh, my WWE tryout at one point, and I brought that story up to him and. <laughs> Let them know, hey, you were right. <laughs> yeah, but you say that you moved things pretty uh, along pretty quickly. I know you did all this stuff in the meantime. But how did the uh, the first real uh, opportunity, and I know it took a while even once you did a couple of things for the WWE uh, before it clicked, but what was the, the, the real door opener? What, what, what made it happen? Uh, I'd been sending them videotapes. Every, like, three months I would update my – video reel um we had videotapes then you know I'd, I'd hook up my two uh vcrs next to each other and hook up my video camera and just put together these videos updating all the shows that i had been doing and of course using the the guys who came from wwe in those clips like to try to get credibility like look right. i work with george animal steel and yokozuna mm -hmm. so i would constantly send videotapes and resumes and call them up and anybody who uh, it, I would go when they came locally, and if I said, hey, I want to be a ring announcer, who do I talk to? Everybody would give me a different name. Sometimes it was a rib. Sometimes it was a real thing. But whatever name I got, including Howard Finkel, that was somebody's like, oh, you should send it to Howard. Um, every name that I got, I would send them videotapes and resumes and just hope for the best. And I never knew if anybody actually got it. And then um, I actually got a hold of Kevin Kelly, who was at Talent Relations, I got a hold of Terry Taylor at WCW, who was in talent relations. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just kept putting myself out there and, uh, you know, reaching for the stars. And the thing that really put it over the edge was after making everybody crazy for all these years, constantly sending everything out, I, A, ran into Kevin Dunn at the TV hotel in Phoenix. Um, I recognized him from Tough Enough. Mm -hmm. and we had gone to the hotel after a show to see Sarge and um, I recognized him from tough enough and went up to him and introduced myself and he knew who I was from sending the videotapes. He said, Hey, maybe one day we'll, uh, we'll put you in the ring and see what you could do. Mm. And it was like the first little bit of hope that I ever had after sending everything out and making all those calls. Uh, I graduated college, and it's the only thing I wanted to do. There was nothing else. I had my degree, but that's all I wanted. And that was my little glimmer of hope right at the end of senior year in college. So I, I moved out to uh, the Phoenix area when I graduated. And um, the day that I moved out there, I remember uh, taking out my little laptop from college and composing an email to uh, to Kevin, who I never knew if he got my stuff or not. I just had an address that I thought was his and kept sending it and um, sent out an email just basically saying, Hey, I graduated college. So uh, I'm available if, uh, if you ever need anything in California and Arizona, you know, New Mexico, anywhere in the area, uh, I'm happy to jump in the car and drive and do whatever you guys need. And the next day is when I got a call from our friend Sue and, yeah. uh, that was the big call letting me know that um, 
they're going to bring me out for a tryout for ring announcing a dark match at Raw and SmackDown in Oakland and Sacramento. And mm. um, when I hung up the phone, that was like, again, I talk about it in the book, it was like the movie Rudy. You know, that kid, all he wanted was to play football for Notre Dame. Yeah. And when he finally got that opportunity, it was like that day I watched Rudy. Um, I felt <laughs> so proud because it wasn't even about getting the job. Because you, you, you knew you were at least going to get to go in for a play. That was it. I just wanted to be able to go in there and show them what I could do. And that's it. If they liked me, awesome. If they didn't, hey, at least I got to show them what I could do. So that audition was all I could ask for. Were you a wreck when you did it, or had you done so many shows that you were able to just... Man, I used to dream about what would happen if I had that opportunity. I mean, I had dreams about it, and, you know, would you walk down that ramp and just freeze? What would it be like? And uh, (laughs) tell the story about how we used to do independent shows in Tempe, and there's an area outside of this restaurant we used to go to, and there was like this metal gimmick in a hill, and it kind of looked like the entrance ramp from Raw. So yeah. we used to stand there and pretend that we were on the Raw entrance ramp. So I don't know if that helped my nerves a little bit, but actually walking down the ramp, it was it was nerve-wracking, but it was just so cool. It was like, this is awesome. I'm walking down the ramp. I'm walking in the ring. Mm. And when it came time to do it, uh, I was nervous, of course, and they had said, you know, the one thing is don't say the word opponent. Vince doesn't like the word opponent. Mm. So normally it's, you know, following contest schedule for one fall. Here's this guy and his opponent. Here's this guy. Right. Uh, so when you can't say opponent, you know, okay, make it work. His, <laughs> his, his adversary. Guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what would so you do? I, I got it. <laughs> Following contest is scheduled for one fall. I used like this really deep voice that wasn't my own. And it, it didn't sound it, much like Howard. It was probably like Howard, uh, like my not impression of him, but just that's the voice I had in my head. And I thought that's, you know, how to impress WWE, like use this deep announcer voice. Yeah. And, you know, the following contest is scheduled for one fall. And I introduced it. Was, the match was actually John Cena versus Shelton Benjamin. Wow. So that Not was. That was a dark match. You know, nobody knew who yeah. John was. I, I knew John from the Independence. Uh, he was prototype, and I'd worked with him in uh, California. So um, that was the first match. And, of course, I said his opponent and got back to my seat. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe I messed that up. I said opponent. I'm never going to get the job. <laughs> Damn. And then uh, the next night, it was the same match, Shelton and uh, John Cena and, um, and Rey Mysterio versus Funaki. So those are my three uh, trout matches. Was Mysterio big at that point either? Mysterio was big from WCW. W, this yeah. was his first WWE match. Wow. That's awesome. And, yeah. and so then uh, apparently they liked you, but uh, tell me about how long that road was. So it wasn't, didn't they, you know, they call you, they let you, and then you wouldn't hear yeah, from Yeah, it wasn't like. Oh, uh, cool. Thanks for coming out. You sucked. We're not interested. See ya. Leave us alone now. And it wasn't, hey, uh, you said opponent, but we still like you and we're going to use it. It was, okay, thanks for coming out. You know, we'll be in touch. Uh, and then nothing. Uh, hey, I'm waiting tables at uh, California Pizza Kitchen because I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to get a job, start looking for a career. It's, it's one of those weird feelings you – you don't know until you get there. When you graduate college, 
it's so weird because you go from being a college student, no worries in the world, just, you know, having fun and going to school and all of a sudden you graduate. Now you're in the real world and it's like, okay, do the first job I go to is, is this what I want to do for a career? You don't realize like you can experiment with different jobs. So I just didn't know if, if I was supposed to go try to find a job, find a career, if WWE was going to pick me up. I, I had no idea. So I'm waiting tables at uh, CPK and, uh, you know, having fun and um, discovering the nightlife in the Phoenix area. I, I knew it well in Tucson. So then I was going out to like, you know, I was basically an ASU student without going to the classes mm-hmm. and uh, waiting tables at CPK. So uh, eventually... I had heard from them. Uh, I don't know. I would assume that I reached out like, hey, just want to check in. Um, But either way, about a month later, they got back to me and said, uh, we're going to bring you out for a tryout for commentary. (laughs) And uh, like do play by play. Yeah. And color. And uh, and, you know, interviews. And if you haven't done commentary, I mean, you have. So, you know, commentary is hard Mm -hmm. and especially there. Um, and there are a lot of people who are really good at commentary and I had never tried it. So I, I knew that I wouldn't be good because I'm, I'm not a natural on commentary. It's just something that I've never experimented with. And, um, they brought me out and <laughs> I was awful. I'm play by play on color, even on the interviews. Uh, I was with Jonathan coachman and, um, I went to interview him. They're like, all right, you're going to ask him whatever, whatever. And, and by the way, he's going to be the rock. Okay. Hey, rock. <laughs> you know, he asked a question. And as soon as I asked the question, he broke out into the rock and I started laughing and it really threw me off. And, uh, I was just like, all right, I'm, I'm not good at this. I'm, I'm not going to get this. And, um, that was it. I, I didn't really hear anything. And, uh, I, I don't think I'd heard anything until, Tony Chimmel wanted to take uh, a weekend off and that's when they called me up and um, there was that. And then there was also, which, you know, I'm I'm not thinking about it right now, clearly. So I I would have to look at like everything that led up to it. There was also when three minute warning took out Lillian and they called me the next day and said, Hey, did you see raw last night? And I'm like, yeah, Lillian. Okay. And they're like, "Uh, yeah, do you want to do raw next week? (laughs) And, um, I was on top of the world and they come yeah. back the week after and they go, I'm sorry, the day after and they go, uh, change of plans. Howard's going to do it, but don't worry. We'll, uh, we'll get back to you within the yeah. month. <laughs> and then, you know, a month comes and goes and you don't hear yeah. anything. So I think that's, that's the order of, uh, how it happened. And then eventually that's when Tony needed a vacation. And, um, I went out there to fill in and, and that's basically where I was. I was the fill in guy when, uh, Howard, because it was Howard doing the house shows and Tony doing the house shows. And Howard didn't take days off and Chimmel did. So, uh, yeah, if Howard, Howard never takes a day off, no matter in the ring or out, doesn't matter. <laughs> nope. So those uh, those days when Tony needed vacation, that's when I came in and I was the fill in guy. When did it become a steady thing? I, I don't know. Were you ever on staff? Were you ever a staff employee? Uh, I was never a full-time employee. They had told me at one point, Kevin, uh, brought me into the truck and he said, um, I can't make you an employee yet. When this contract is up though, uh, we'll make you an employee. It was a handshake deal. And, um, when that contract was up and we discussed the new one and I said, all right, you know, you, he said, you know, three years ago, uh, 
it could be uh, an employee now. And he goes, I have no, no idea what you're talking about. And uh, so I never became a, a full-time employee, but I was, I was the full-time in a normal world. I would be the full-time employee starting in 2004. But in so a the, couple of years, I mean, a couple of years, you just bounced around with them. Yeah, I started in 2002, and then 2004, I went full time. They they took Howard off the road and put me in his spot, and then um, that's when I became full time, and I was working, you know, five six days a week from that point on. How was that transition? I know that you said that you you've always had a pretty good relationship with Howard, but uh, I can't imagine ever that he wanted to come out of that ring as the, no. the main guy. Well, of course. So not. how how did that come about? I know you know as far as the politics of it or whatever they decide, you were not um, a part of that decision making. Right. What 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 made that decision happen? Do you know? Um, I don't know internally. Um, I never knew internally what it was that led to it, but I, I think they were big on just youth. You know, mm. I was a twenty four year old kid, and uh, that was what they wanted to do and they're like oh we're gonna put you on tv you're gonna wear like club attire uh, so like i wore like a button-down shirt and pants like oh we'll wear a jacket too and so i'd wear like just a suit with no tie which is kind of what they're getting at they wanted me to get like blazers and just wear it with um, in the nice and that with that's where they would have you announce how long the hell did that last Oh, not long at all. I was going to um, say, I, I like, can't well, imagine the first night that Vince would look, I could just see him like, what the Yeah, man, they had me go out and I I bought all these jackets to wear because it was like, okay, you wear nice pants, a nice shirt, and a jacket, not suits. <laughs> and I had suits. Or I had tuxes. Um, yeah. So then when I bought all that and I wore it with like a shirt that had a button, well, if it's a button-down shirt uh, and you're not wearing a tie, then that doesn't look right. So then I started wearing like, colorless shirts with a suit and before you knew it um i was just wearing a suit uh, I'd, I'd worn tuxes early on and they said that's howard's deal and uh save us save a tux for wrestlemania so yeah, stop wearing my man. tux right. and uh basically started wearing suits at that point but how long would did not wearing a tie last that that's, that sounds crazy maybe uh, a month or two it, yeah. it wasn't very long yeah, yeah. So then you're you're the basically you're the you're the guy. You're uh, I know that I did house shows and yeah. velocity, um, and heat. Uh-huh. Um, I think that was the deal. I did uh, raw house shows, but then like velocity TV. Or was no, no maybe I was doing heat too. Yeah. Uh, I'm rusty. I haven't thought about this. like when I did all the book stuff. You know, I I had everything concrete, and then I haven't thought about it since. I stopped writing the book, which was uh, a while back. Um, yeah, I mean, but it was before Raw and, uh, you know, before you were really the premiere. I wasn't I wasn't the guy on TV. I was the go-to guy to cover for everybody else. I covered everybody's house shows, everybody's smaller shows, but I wasn't doing Raw and I wasn't doing SmackDown. In 2006, that's when I got my opportunity to be the ECW guy, to do ECW house shows and to do ECW TV. Other than that, I was running around everywhere before it. So um, ECW was really exciting because I liked ECW. I was an ECW fan. And um, to be able to work with the reincarnation, the new ECW, I thought was going to be really cool. And, you know, it was what it was, but it, it was actually one of my favorite times on the road because the ECW guys were great. The shows were fun and the guys were just, I mean, 
pure entertainment. Nice guys, really nice guys, and just entertaining. Everybody was quirky, and it was fun. Yeah, and it's also it, it seems when those properties that aren't you know uh, you know right there in the forefront, like the big shows, and is they're not overmanaged. No, and that was the thing. People really enjoy doing it because that's, you know, they're kind of the people are, oh, as long as they're doing what they're doing. And then, yeah. you know, you actually get to do what you want to do. I mean, it's. And nice. then, of course, it becomes a little more micromanaged and they yeah. start saying, well, we want this, we want this. And it becomes less of what it's supposed to be and more of what they wanted it to be. And that was the end of that. Uh, and then I moved to SmackDown from there. They, uh, they put Tony on ECW, uh, put me on the SmackDown house shows and SmackDown TV and then had a two-year run on SmackDown uh, from 2006-2007. Then, yeah, I think it was 2007 to 2009. And then 2009, uh, I took over for Raw. Uh, then the pressure really got heavy. Uh, be- and before we get to that, um, I don't think a lot of people understand, because I, cert- I, you know, I was there for a while, and I was you know, uh, near the ring quite often. I, I don't think people really understand what you guys do in there and, and how tough a job it really is. Uh, the, there, there's this kind of a perception that you, you're just, they tell you, okay, here's this guy. He's, you know who he is and you announce him and you know, his, after a while, you know, all the guys, uh, and, and that's it. But it, it's, there's so much more to that. And when I've had a conversation with you before and you've told me about, uh, you know, you don't have an earpiece. Everybody else has an earpiece. They're talking to him and telling him to do, uh, do things. You really, you go in there and uh, you know, I don't see you looking even at a, a note card. Uh, so tell, really give me the, the, uh, the ins and outs though, of being a ring announcer that people really have no idea what was involved. It seems really easy. Um, yeah. and, and 100% it's, it's easier than being a wrestler for sure. And even a referee, like a referee's job is really difficult. Um, with being a ring announcer, uh, you're, you're kind of looked at from the higher ups as kind of the bottom of the totem pole. And, um, they don't, baby you by any means they don't hold your hand and walk you through okay tonight we're going to do this and you know at this point you would say this and at this point you're going to say that a lot of it is just they're doing what they're doing and you just have to uh go with it and um and sink or swim and that's what happened on monday nights i would be out there with no earpiece um no note cards um you aren't really in the loop. Sometimes you'd ask questions and sometimes you'd get answers, but a lot of times you wouldn't. You would just annoy there. people by asking, right? Right, right. <laughs> you know, they get irritated, but then if you don't ask, it's like, why didn't you just ask? Uh, so you're looking in, in three different directions. You're looking over at the floor producer. You're looking at the timekeeper. They're on headsets with the bosses. Uh, you're looking at the cameras ahead. You're looking at the entrance way on the right to see if anybody's coming down. Cause sometimes you, they would just point to you. The, the guys on headset would just point and that was your cue to say, you know, please welcome whoever. So sometimes so you had you, just one guy who's kind of the point guy out there who, uh, cues you. I mean, uh, how does that work? Like, a lot of people always wondered, I mean, you come back in from whatever what you would call commercial break and especially when it's live you have to hit it so how did that work the the floor producer is basically there for the commentators he's kind of their guy 
and 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 helps them throughout the night but all three of them the commentators for them you know the commentators and the floor producer have headsets and can talk to kevin dunn or vince Mm -hmm. um and then there's the uh timekeeper who's ringing the bell but also kind of running things on the floor and um he's relaying messages to the ring announcer so anything that i got was through him um at one point well, you would we, just what get a lineup i, I mean I, I really i just wonder how sometimes we wouldn't even have a lineup sometimes raw would go on what, the you air you came out through the curtain <laughs> sometimes we'd go on the air and the script wasn't out yet so um you just like i said you have to roll with the punches you'd be out there and if the bell rings, the following contest is scheduled for one fall. The music's playing. You, I would know whose music it was. And sometimes you didn't know if two guys were coming out. Like, wait, is this a singles match? Like, say, Primo and Epico come out and their music's playing. They're both coming out. But there might be a question of, is this a singles match with one of them or is it both of them? Um, there were a lot of times where I'd have to look at the referee and be like, hey, is this a, is this a six-man? Is this a tag? Is this a singles and then just roll with the punches. Whoever was coming out, you just introduce them. Um, a lot of stuff was on the fly, and they weren't like, hey, you know, let Justin know this. It was almost like, let him figure it out for himself. And uh, Were there any real memorable screw-ups that you, re- that you remember? That uh... I remember the first time when they brought superstars back. Um, it was supposed to be Matt Hardy versus somebody, and um, we're about to do superstars, and the lights go out. And the gong hits and takers come into the ring. And I look to the referee and I go, what is the Undertaker doing coming to the ring? He goes, it's uh, Matt Hardy versus Undertaker. I go, oh, thanks for letting me. Ding, ding, ding. The following contest is scheduled for one fall. Introducing first the Undertaker uh, and his opponent, Matt Hardy. Thanks, ref. Um, So luckily he was there. Somebody knew. (laughs) <laughs> it could have been a screw up, but luckily we we got through it. Um, you just you rolled with the punches and uh, and hoped for the best, and you hope not to to mess up. And you're kind of reading their minds. You're, you're reading Vince's mind. You're reading Kevin's mind. You're uh, thinking for yourself. You know the music's playing or this person's coming out. You just you have to have an idea of what to say. Mm. Was it always, because uh, I know you, you got you got into a, a one very memorable uh, work that they had. Uh, were there other times when you got involved that they allowed you, where you weren't just uh, the uh, mic stand out there announcing a match? Uh, was there a period when, when you did get to do more? Or, uh, and they, we'll talk, yeah, they talk really about didn't, Daniel Bryan. On, on house shows, I did more, and you know I could do more, and... The guys who were running the house shows knew I was capable of more than saying the following contest was scheduled for one fall. Um, But at TV, that was basically it. I mean, the one time they let me do something really that wasn't just ring announcing. They let me host like a a Halloween costume contest, I think, between Kelly Kelly and Trinity. Um, Was Francine in that too, maybe? And I got to like – Tori Wilson was in it. And I got to host it, and I just remember getting chewed out because I stood in the center, and they're like, don't ever stand in front of the talent. Of this. Like, I, I didn't know. I was just in the center hosting this contest. Um, and that was, I think, the only time I got to do something other than ring announcing a TV and, of course, getting beat up by uh, Daniel Bryan in the Nexus, which that was cool. 
got slapped by AJ. Um, that was well, Todd, you met, since you mentioned the Daniel Bryan episode, and uh, I know that's also in the book, but uh, it's kind of like nothing could, nothing could go right in that situation because you you thought it was uh, great, like it all went well. I mean, Everybody thought explain, it was great. Explain, Vince give us this ecstatic. Yeah. Yeah, Brian they, was happy. Nexus was happy. I was happy. Everybody was happy. Explain and the setup to that, though, for some people that that haven't read about they it. They wanted the Nexus thought. to um, make an impact and and just cause mayhem and uh, get people to talk. And so that night, Nexus came out and they did their thing and they beat Cena up. They beat me up, and I had never been touched before. And so these guys just. And you, you, you know, knew this was coming, but you had no idea what was it was going to entail. To what extent? You know, it was they're going to get me. They're yeah. going to rip my suit off. They're going to beat me up. And uh, that was it. I mean, the choking thing wasn't planned out, but Daniel Bryan is so good. Uh, so, so good. And he saw me laying there with the tie. They got my shirt off, they got my jacket off, but the tie got knotted and they just didn't take the tie off. So I'm laying there with my tie and he saw an opportunity and he just came up and, uh, you know, kind of got on my back and uh, strangled me with the tie and it made for good TV and everybody was happy and we got to the back, everybody was happy and that night everybody was happy and then by the end of the week, um, he was fired for choking (laughs) (laughs) and... uh, what was their backlash from fans? Like, where did that? I think it was from? Uh, from what I understand, it was a sponsor. You know, it was something from corporate, and it was a sponsor, oh. and their unhappiness. And Brian had to take the heat for it. It's not like he ever knew that there was no yeah, choke. They say, what were the guidelines? They say, okay, yeah, and don't don't choke anybody. Yeah, I think Vince <laughs> had choked somebody too not long before that, and you know that was fine. Uh, but when Brian did it, you know, he, he broke a rule that didn't really exist but had to pay for it but at the same time as i always say he did really well he went out and did indies which he enjoys doing because he doesn't care if it's 100 people in the crowd or fifty thousand people in the crowd uh he just loves being out there and he did really well for uh, a couple of months and then came back right in the main event of SummerSlam. so it, it worked out okay for him and obviously um you know he's, he's very very popular and successful no. so well, and that, and even that incident, though, I think helped move him along. It didn't, uh, if anything. Yeah. Uh, but tell me, tell me more, more about these house shows because you, you you say that they were a lot more fun. And and when you you have a house show, folks, it's, it's you don't have, uh, you know, the the TV trucks and the whole, you know, the the eternal number of matches. Or uh, what goes on of those house matches that made them so much fun, even for you. I mean, it's a pure wrestling show. It it has a beginning, a middle, and an end versus TV, which it's not really uh, – for TV, they don't really cater to the live audience. It's about doing what they want to do for TV, and that's the, the thought process. Whereas this, it's like an agent or two producer will go in and just run these shows. Vince wasn't there. Kevin wasn't there. All the writers, all the, the other – corporate guys none of them were there so it was just the producer or two and and the talent and like a production manager at the time and um we just run these shows and and put on a good show and do everything it took to entertain that live audience Mm. and um it was fun especially early on it was just go out there and put on a good show 
And then as time went on, it became a lot more micromanaged and scripted and, you know, do this and do that. And they kind of brought in like uh, showrunners to run the show who had no knowledge of wrestling. And, um, you know, it, it became a lot different later on. Even the house shows, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. But early so, on. But, but early on, before that, that happened, um, did the matches have to stick to storylines or were these guys able to just come up with matches uh you know that them, yeah, they, the, them was, and the agents came up with sometimes say, they'd be but, based off what they were doing on tv but other times yeah. would just be something that was thrown together um and it was just the guys got to go out there and put on a good match and put on a good show and a lot of times guys would do stuff they'd try new things try new catchphrases try new moves i remember when santino morella first started the cobra with chavo guerrero um and you get it over at a house show and then you bring it to tv wow hey uh i know part part of the book if people look at uh i think it's you know i i may even be on the cover but i know throughout uh you were meticulous about documenting the uh, all the different events that you were a part of. I, I don't know. I don't know what the final total count was. I think you have an idea, but uh, tell people a little bit about the kind of schedule that you kept. I, I you know, in, in many ways, when you look at it and reading the book, I just feel like you you just you gave up uh, a, a good portion of your life to to do this. Uh, Give us some idea what that schedule was like when you were you know, basically full time. Yeah, I don't think people realize. Um, and that's why like coming back from that world, it, it's it's neat. It's like coming back to reality and coming back and seeing your friends and family and getting time. And they say, hey, we're having a wedding. Can you come? Yeah, I'm available versus saying no to everything that came up because you were just not available. You gave your life to the company. And um, when I first I mean, a typical started, typical month. Give me, give me a typical month when everything was just early on. I was doing all the shows, so I was doing the raw schedule and ending with like the SmackDown TV, the Velocity. So I would start on Friday. Sat, you're doing a town Friday, a different town Saturday, different town Sunday, different town Monday. Maybe I would do like Sunday night heat Monday, and then drive to the Tuesday town to do Velocity on Tuesday, um, and then fly home Wednesday. And then you have Thursday at home, and then Friday you fly out again. <laughs> I I did that for a long time, um, and then eventually it became fly out Saturday, um, do TV Tuesday, come home Wednesday. So you had like Thursday and Friday at home, which was cool. Oh. Um, and sometimes instead of coming home after TV, you would fly overseas and do international tours. And instead of coming home after the international tour, you'd uh, go do TV. And then after TV, you'd come home for a couple of days, you know, so you might be gone 10 days, come home for two days. Um, it was busy. It, it wasn't like I was getting uh, any time off. Um, it, it took many, many years before I actually would take time off. Uh, it was really busy. And when you're talking about seeing it in the book, it was a cool idea. Uh, the publisher actually came up with it. It was like the, the one thing that the publisher had um, suggested doing in the book. I had a list because um, I had a website early on in my announcing and it had my dates, the, the shows that I was doing and who was going to be on them. And I would update that list every week or every month. And I kept it updated while I was with WWE. And when I was done, 
I looked at this list and I had every show that I had ever announced wow. on this list. So uh, they took that list and they split it up and it's never explained in the book. Yeah. But you just see dates, dates. all throughout the book. And yeah. the I dates, think you figure it out. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you hear stories and then you look at some of the small print and they're like, oh, wait, he talked about being in here and then going to wherever. So I have every town that I announced in from, you know, 1996 to 2014, 2015 at the time when the when the book went to print. So uh, all those dates are in there. So how many? What's the what's the total? Can you give me a, an idea of how many different? Uh, you know what? I had counted. Um, I'm in front of my computer right now. And I mean, that, is it? You know, I mean, a thousand, ten thousand. I, I mean, guy, just I just looked at him like, holy mackerel! This guy was, uh, and and that was it. You you just kept going and going and going. And what did you ever have a a break where you said I need two weeks off? Uh, I'm going to go lay down on an island somewhere, or, or did did it just keep going. I did eventually years and years later, I, I had asked for time off. I remember asking for uh, a weekend off cause I wanted to go to my 10 year, um, high school reunion and, um, like, okay. And, and they gave it to me and then they called me and they're like, Hey, we need you to cover raw on Monday. I was doing SmackDown and Lillian covered this tour for me. And, um, because she was covering the tour for me, I needed to cover raw for her. Mm-hmm. So that was my, uh, that was my break. I just wow. highlighted the dates and I'm trying to remember how to, uh, Ooh, if I hit this, it might number all the dates. Okay. So I just highlighted all the dates in this document and it's showing 2087 lines, oh. which means there's at least, 2087 dates on this uh, how many different countries did you ever the god the miles uh you probably still have plenty oh yeah to, yeah to i used to travel uh i, I think it was about 200 000, i used to fly about 200,000 miles a year and then uh i would drive you know figure a thousand miles a week so you know 50,000 a, a year driving Jeez. It was uh, all over the place, and a lot of times the maps didn't make sense. You'd fly into one place and then might have to fly to the opposite side of the country or drive here and drive back, and it was all over the place. But uh, a lot of those shows were really fun. A lot of those experiences were really fun. I mean, I was a huge wrestling fan who was – my job was to go out there and do pro wrestling. (laughs) Well, and also I know along the way – you became pretty good friends with a lot of these guys. I know that, that Dolph Ziggler is, is a real good uh, close friend of yours because, uh, you know, you, you were together with these groups of people, uh, like a, like a, uh, you know, a traveling band of entertainers really. Yeah. Um, you're with them more than you're with your family and your friends. That's kind of a, like a family, like how many, who are some of these guys that, you know, that you got closest to and still remain good. Friends? There were a lot of guys throughout the years. Um, in in the last couple of years, I would ride with um, a combination of the Doctor, uh, Miz, Zack Ryder, uh, Dolph. Um, that was like that was the car for the last couple of years. John Morrison was a part of that. Um, you find people who you're similar to, and you have similar interests, and we all like going to the same kind of restaurants, staying at the same hotels, going to the same gyms. So. Um, that's really all it takes because that's all you have time to do. 
Yeah, really it is. Uh, it is pretty hotel. incredible. But um, I know that, like, I, I actually met you and uh, and Dolph up in Phoenix at one at one point. I think he's he's he still lives there, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure you guys have stayed in touch. But when um, you know things before you left, um, what was going on at the time? I I, I know that uh, you know in the book you talk about it extensively. But after being on the road for that long and doing the same thing over and over again, was there an end to this game, or did you say I, I, I could do this forever? Because I don't, I don't care how much you love something. I mean, like when I was doing the event center, and I was thinking, you know, I was making really good money. Here I am living in Camelot, and I'm like thinking, I can't do this forever. I mean, yeah. I just can't. And so, was there? Did you have that experience? And this is somebody, uh, folks, who you know grew up just that was their dream you you did it and totally obsessed have, with there it. was you know there was no other you know pinnacle there to reach as far as an announcer goes uh but you know did it did it get to a point that you were like i can't keep doing this forever there's a couple of things that come to mind when you said that and the first was coach uh, jonathan coachman had been doing some ring announcing before i came in full time and um i remember when he was just he was starting to have enough and wanting to get out of there. <laughs> I thought to myself, how could anybody want to leave this? <laughs> how could yeah. you be wanting to get out of here? Um, and then fast forward to, uh, I remember doing a podcast with uh, Colt Cabana, the art of wrestling. And, uh, and he was an old friend of mine. And um, he brought up a question and he goes, this is while I'm with the company. He goes, so uh, are you a lifer? You know, will you be there for life? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Because I'm always honest in, in life, in in wrestling, just everything. I'm, I'm always honest. And um, I didn't want to lie, but I was working there, and I was just kind of cringing on the inside because I didn't think of myself like Howard as a lifer and being there for life. There mm. was starting to be just the stuff that you deal with early on because you just are so excited to be there and you want to, you want that gig and you want to be part of it. But you know, once it starts getting a little bit older and the travel just gets more brutal yeah. and they're just, they're treating you not the way they should be treating their talent and the talents traveling, not the way that human beings should be traveling. Um, and the travel and then even more so the politics on top of it, when, you're trying to do the best at your job, but you just keep throwing the wrenches in there. And uh, you just, um, the travel and the politics just got to a point and, and a lot of things were happening and it just, you're not happy and you're spending your time in the car with whoever you're with and at meals with who you're with and you're just venting. And it just became, this isn't the dream job anymore. It's just become... You know, there's there's too much other stuff. Does it beat going and, you know, doing this and doing that? Yes, but it's just I don't know how much longer I could do it. And um, in the last two or three years, it, it was a lot of that. There are so many good things that still came with it, you know, going out there and entertaining a crowd and um, just 
you see a lot of a lot of people out there and it's it's easy to do things for them to make them happy and to put smiles on their faces and you know it goes a long way and you're working with superheroes and you ask these superheroes to use their superpowers to help people and yeah. you can't beat that it, it's awesome but um it just like i said the politics and the travel just uh, got to be too much yeah and when did it really go south i mean when did you you know realize okay uh was there something um, specific or what happened? There was a, a, just a, a few different things that happened, you know, later on. Um, just the company kind of uh, stepping on you and uh, just bad treatment. Um, like I said in the book, I, I go into all the details, and I'm not saying that like, oh, go buy my book because it's not like that. But there's just so many different things that happened, and um, you talk about the morale and a lot of good people who were being let go, and guys who were like me, they would do anything for the company and always went to bat for the company. I mean, I wrote letters to Howard Stern and Oprah when I was there because. They just, you could tell when they talked about pro wrestling, it was like, not beneath them, but beneath them. And I would write letters to these places just saying like, <laughs> what the power of pro wrestling does. I even wrote yeah. a blog about on medium.com. I wrote a, a blog about pro wrestling and how powerful it is. And it's, it makes all the difference in the world for so many different people. And, um, you know, I'd always defend it and, uh, it just, it, uh, it got bad politically and yeah. Time to go. Um, but on the positive side of this, and I'm sure you, you look back on this as a, a, a tremendous part of your life. Um, so what would the, what, what the takeaway when you look back at, at uh, that time um, of what you were able to accomplish and what the WWE did give you? Okay. When you're a kid and you're going to school and, you know, you're going through the motions and whatever, and you discover this this wrestling with larger-than-life superheroes with these crazy storylines, it captures your imagination. It captures your interest. My childhood memories all revolve around Royal Rumble 92, you know, uh, SummerSlam 93. It's just everything revolved around wrestling for me. I got to go off and live what I enjoyed watching as a kid. I got to do shows where, and I'm not just saying this because it's you, but man, Sean Mooney came to do a show and I took a picture with you and Mean Gene and Howard Finkel. I mean, you are the announcers that I grew up watching every week on TV. Um, I'm a kid who, before the internet, before all that, the wrestling world was so far away. And then to think about just everything that I was able to do, I was able to announce Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania. Yeah. I got to introduce the Ultimate Warrior on Monday Night Raw. I got to introduce Brett the Hitman Hart, Shawn Michaels, Skinner. I mean, I worked with everybody that I grew up watching. Yeah. To this day, I will still go back and watch Survivor Series 95. I will go back and watch everything that I loved as a kid. WrestleMania 8. By the way, did you ever use that payphone to make a call? <laughs> no, it was uh, No, but Bobby Heenan had a lot of fun with that payphone. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> I got to meet Bobby Heenan. Um, yeah. I mean, I got to do everything that I dreamed of and 
everything that I couldn't even dream of. So yeah, and, and now I could go back and watch those those videos, Coliseum home videos, and uh, and just look at it differently, and and look at it like they were probably doing this, and probably thinking this. Oh, and there's uh, Iron Sheik who was like this, and you just you have such a, a personal relationship with so many of those characters that you just watched as a kid. So. I got to live my dream. Um, I'm very proud of everything I got to do. It sucks that, you know, it ended on a sour note and it could have just been, you know, a complete feel good story, but not everything is going to be perfect. And, you know, I could have just, I left on good terms. I, I could have just kept my mouth shut and, you know, never brought up any of the bad stuff, but, uh, most people don't bring up the bad stuff and, you know, if people want to know what it's really like, you know, you, you got to be honest. And so I brought up the bad stuff, but the good outweighed the bad. And uh, overall, it was it was awesome that I got to live out that dream and um, work with so many incredible people and meet so many incredible fans and uh, meet all of my heroes that I grew up with. Yeah. And uh, and folks, and I'll say one thing about this book, uh Justin, that's that's different than a lot of the other ones you read. It really is a, a real honest take on uh, you know somebody who was in your position that uh, you, you know I I didn't take away from it that you were bitter or mad with angry with them or uh, that it was a bad experience. But you did you just you laid it out. I mean, as with all the 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 good and just like you talked about, you don't you know those those memories and you cherish. Uh, what you're able to accomplish, but you know, folks, if you want like a real, uh, you know, behind the scenes, behind the curtain, and also, you know, what went on on the floor, the stuff you couldn't really hear, <laughs> except this booming voice from the the center of the ring, you really should check out Best Seat in the House. Uh, I know you can get it on Amazon and just about every. I, what has got a second print on this now, Justin? Uh, three, three, three times. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah, it's a bestseller. Um, now, you know, what have you been doing since? Did you need to get away for a little while? Uh, you know, step back. It sounds like you're, you're, you're back into watching here and there, but, uh, what have you been up to? It's strange when you live in that bubble for so long and you come back and all of a sudden the world has kind of passed you by and you're, uh, you're out of the loop. You, uh, I used to be in touch with everybody who's on TV. I, I knew all the TV shows, all the movies, all the actors in it. And now I've become like that old guy who's like, now, what's his name and what's her? Like, I don't know who anybody is because for so long I lived in that bubble and that was it. That's that's all I had time for. So when I came out, I was yeah, like, now what I'm, do I'm I do that now? old man, been that way for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do I do now? You know, what wrestling was the one thing I was passionate about. Yeah. So uh different opportunities have popped up, you know, voiceover work. I did some TV shows, some movies, uh, a lot of commercials. Um the band Tool uh, had approached me about doing some stuff, and yeah. I've been going on tour with them. And um, just basically anything that's popped up that sounds fun, because I had to say no to everything for so long, that anything that's popped up that sounds fun, I've done it. And um, the book, uh, I, I promoted that a lot. You know, I, I did the, uh, there's the ebook, the hardcover book, and the audio version. And um, I did all the, the promoting for that because that was something that the publisher didn't really do and the distributor didn't really do. So I had to do that. And and that was a challenge because like you talked about, it's, it's so honest. It's not, the misconception is that it's like 
it's it's a book about bullying or it's uh mm-hmm. you know it's i go after WWE. it's not like that at all I, i'm not there's no malice i'm not going after them at all it's, it's here's my honest story this is this is what happened and but because of that and because of that stigma if i could say that um there were it wasn't easy to promote because all the guys who promote everything wrestling um yeah. didn't want to touch stuff. it right they they didn't want to and you know there is that perception with the wwe i don't know if that's thought any but uh i don't want to get heat i don't want to burn my bridge with them so i can't talk about your book because then wwe will be unhappy so you get a lot of private messages where it's like hey this is great but i can't say anything publicly like, okay i get it and yeah. uh and I, I totally get that because that's that's what they do they they kind of put this fear out there and you know you uh, you don't want to do anything that will uh will hurt your chances of going and you know appearing on the 25th anniversary of raw so i get it uh, i totally get it just um it made so is it that that relationship with wwe still very frosty i guess is one way to put it um <laughs> i don't know if you've heard from them lately <laughs> no we uh we we talked on the the day that uh, they told me they weren't renewing my contract and that was it that was uh the last communication um that we had wow so uh you know like i said i left on good terms but then uh the book is very honest and you know that probably didn't you know you know uh <laughs> you know uh you're uh still a young man here uh what uh you know i always it's kind of like you played in the nfl and then okay so now i have to have this next career uh What's, you know, do you to think about uh, a big plan or are you just happy doing what you're doing? What comes along and you get these, you know, different gigs and you're, you know, getting by? I love being uh, around for my family, for anything that my family needs. That's been great. Um, and I also don't know. That's that's people will talk like, well, if you were unhappy at WWE, why didn't you leave? And I never had a reason to leave. There was never anything else that I wanted to do that I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't take it upon myself to leave when I didn't know what else I would do. And here I am three plus years away from there. And I still don't know career wise what I want to do, what I should do. So it's uh, it's almost like that period of graduating college. If the WWE thing didn't work out, you know, what do I want to do? And here I'm back to square one. Uh, got a lot more experience under my belt. Um, I mean, when you work for Vince, uh, they make a soldier out of you, and yeah. you really get a lot of experience in a lot of different uh, avenues. So I've got a lot more experience than when I graduated college, but still trying to figure out, you know, where I belong in this world and what I should do next. Yeah. Well, and uh, it's it's great that you know for probably ten years you didn't uh, spend a dime because you're on the <laughs> you're on the <laughs> right. road every damn day. Uh, but you know, uh, you you are uh, an incredible announcer. You would never have lasted as long as you did with the WWE. We know how people come and go. Uh, so you, whatever it is you choose to do, I know you're going to be successful. And Justin, I really really want to thank you for coming on uh, primetime. Uh, once again, I want to tell everybody. Uh, pick this book up. It's a great read. Uh, best seat in the house. And uh, best way to get it, through your website or how, Justin? Yeah, well, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. And then I had a website, uh, justinrobertsbook.com. And uh, the guy let it uh, expire. And we talked this week about 
putting it back up and I uh, haven't gotten confirmation. So when this airs, hopefully it will be back up. Uh, so check justinrobertsbook.com. If not, just Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all bookstores, Books A Million. It's everywhere. Awesome. All right, now Audiobook give me, uh, that I narrated, I ebook. Go ahead, say that again. I don't want them to miss any of these outlets. I narrated the audiobook. So if, uh, if you're like me and you don't really like to read and uh, you like to listen. <laughs> listen to the car. You could hear it in my voice. And uh, I may or may not break out into Vince and Howard and all the characters as they come up. <laughs> yeah, how many do you do? I know you do a great Howard. Uh, well, thank you. It's, I even, uh, well, I'll tell you, like, uh, uh, I used to talk about, uh, you know, Howard, because he would, he used to tell me, Sean, you're not saying WWF right. <laughs> like, well, how are you supposed to say it? <laughs> I say WWF. He said, no, it's Dev. It would say it like a W. That's how I like it. W, WWF. But I know you do a better one than that. So he did that on purpose? Uh, maybe. I, oh. I think so. But uh, give me a little Howard and then a little Vince. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell a story in the book about how um, we were going over the WrestleMania attendance announcement at WrestleMania 25, and it was Vince was upset all day. I was told Vince is getting you this announcement. Vince is getting you this announcement. So I never thought anything of it, and we're about to start the show, and then I find out that Vince is angry with me because I didn't come to him with an announcement. Uh, <laughs> like, but I thought he was giving. So he and I are standing like outside of Gorilla right before the start of WrestleMania 25. And we're coming up with this announcement to say, you know, the attendance announcement tonight is however many thousands of people. And you always heard Howard doing that. So in my head, I had Howard's voice. So uh, we came up with this and then Vince is like, read it back to me. So I read it back to him. I go, and tonight's attendance record is 82,706. And he looked at me and goes, oh, what was that? <laughs> and I go, that was Howard. <laughs> and he was so pissed. Like, don't ever do that again. Oh, God. <laughs> I tried to and there you that. have it. All right, brother. Great talking to you. And Thank uh, you for all the kind for... words uh, a minute ago. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Uh, you truly uh, are the man. Uh, I, I mean everything that I said. You really sold me on everything as a kid. And uh, I always just thought you were so crisp and so cool as an announcer, as a host. You and uh, and Alfred on commentary, you hosting primetime, um, all of your backstage interviews. So it's uh, it's really cool to to be on your show because you uh, you were a huge part of my childhood, and now uh, you're a friend of mine, and it's uh, it's really cool. So thank you. All right, man. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for being on primetime with Sean Mooney. <laughs>